As we continue to worship through our giving, grab your Bibles. We're going to be reading our text this morning. Go to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible, as usual, there's a white paperback Bible in the pew back in front of you. If you don't own one, that's our gift to you. Take it home, mark it up, fall in love with Jesus in and and the Scriptures. Um, When you get to Matthew chapter 5, we're going to be in verse 13. When you get there, look up at me and say, your kingdom is forever. Kingdom's forever. Kingdom is forever. At the conclusion of the reading of the text, I'll say, This is the word of the Lord, and you say, Thanks be to God. Beginning in verse 13. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand, and it gives light to all of the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. How's everybody doing? Good? Good, man. I tell you what, I'm ready to go today. We are in um, a sermon series called Jesus Uncensored, and we're looking at the Sermon on the Mount. And we're just simply looking at what Jesus said about certain topics and issues. And oftentimes in Christianity, people say, well, I don't think Jesus ever said anything about this. Or I'm not so sure Jesus was clear about this. And so what we're going to do is just simply let Jesus answer those questions as we walk through this. But just a few quick announcements before we get going. You have seen the big cardboard box out there in our lobby. That is to help um, O'Neill Elementary, which sits in our backyard. And many of you have already donated and given to that. And what they're asking for is help with items such as sweatshirts, sweatpants, underwear, socks for boys and girls, sizes 6 to 16. Um, Oftentimes they have kids that come to school that just aren't in appropriate clothes due to the house household not being able to provide it, or they have accidents at school and they don't have clothes to change into. And so we just think that this is like a bottom shelf, very simple need that we're able to meet and provide for that. So that will be out there for a period of time. Uh, There's also a list that you can take with you. So whenever you do your shopping and stuff as well this week. And then also um, we have another need in our audio and uh, video and band. So uh, are are you guys thankful for our worship team here at Westside, man? Man. They are extremely talented, and what we want to do is grow more leaders in light of that. So um, if any of you are extremely talented at the cowbell or anything like that or the tambourine or anything, um, speak with Pastor Tyler. There's a sign-up sheet out there. And also, those of you that are tech-savvy, it's 2017, and a lot of you can do more on a phone than what some people could do with 17 computers in 1970 or something like that. And so we need help up top. There's a lot of stuff that goes on and a lot of people that volunteer and serve. And the cool thing about this is these people are family. Um, They hang out together. They study God's word together. They spend time together. So it's really a phenomenal time to be a part of that. And then lastly, it is um, this time of the year where we always do what's called our Freedom in Faith 5K. And what this is, is a um, fundraiser for the John 316 graduate program. And the graduate program is for a house that is here um, in Popper Bluff. They graduate out of the ministry there in Arkansas, come back, and they get jobs, and they really live the life of rehabilitation. We do this every fall. For those of you that are runners, you can sign up and be a part of this. I typically don't run unless something's chasing me, but this is a really good um, opportunity to be a part of that. And then also, we need sponsors for this 
event as well. And so um, you can get your name possibly on a t-shirt for a business or something like that. And again, there is all the information that you need out there at the Welcome Center. This is a fun event. We love these guys. We love partnering with ministries. And um, again, this is just something that we think is very easy that we can do and be a part of as well. So, hey, we're in Matthew chapter 5, and we've been walking through this Sermon on the Mount. And I tell you what, it's been a lot of fun um, looking at the Beatitudes and understanding Jesus' proclamation. Um, The congratulations you've made the team is what we've looked at with the Beatitudes. And now he transitions in the Sermon on the Mount um, and talks about the effect that his disciples and followers of Jesus now have on the world. That um, it's basically intrinsic that if you follow Jesus, that you will impact the world around you. And maybe just as a way of illustration, I don't know about you, but I've been thankful for the cool weather um, that's came in because that's less mosquitoes, and which is incredible because I believe mosquitoes, ticks, and chiggers are a product of sin. That's what I believe. There's nothing good about them whatsoever. But if you were to come to our house in the dead of summer, you would hear fans going and buzzing um, in every single room because the way that our house sits, the sun rises on our house sits on our house all day, and then sets on our house. And our back bay windows, the sun just shines through them. And I took a picture one day of what our um, thermostat looked like. Um, On the left is the thermometer, and it's about 83 degrees in the house, and I would constantly go back. Are there any other guys that go back to the thermostat and keep lowering it, thinking that it's going to get cooler and cooler? And on the right is the thermostat, and it's set on 70 and it's not 70 in the house. And I'm constantly going, what's going on? And we got the fans going. But I show that picture as an illustration because on the left is a thermometer. And a thermometer tells you what the temperature is in the room. But here's the thing. A thermometer is affected by the environment. A thermometer changes with the environment and shows you what the environment's doing. On the other side, the right-hand side, the arrow, is a thermostat. And it changes the environment. And what Jesus is talking about today is, is that Christians are not thermometers. We don't change and fluctuate with the environment. And whenever hot button topic is in the society and we, we change with the times and we have to change this message and we have to change Jesus because uh, that was 2,000 years ago and that's not really relevant. What Jesus is talking about in this passage today is he says we're thermostats. We, we literally change the environment that we are in when he talks about this idea of being salt and being light. And so the big idea today is very simple, and it's this. Kingdom living changes lives. It's just that simple. Kingdom living changes lives. And what I love about this is everybody has a proposed idea how to change the world. How do we change the world? Well, we need better health care, and we need better medical assistance, and we need more legislation, and we need this, and we need that. And the funny thing is, is Jesus tells us, simply be who I've created you to be. And when we look at the Beatitudes, it's people who are merciful. It's people who are peacemakers. And he says, when you live in light of who you are, that's literally going to change the world around you. And I don't know about you, but that's like really refreshing to me 
that I don't have to like try to do something or try to be something in order to affect change. All I have to do is be who God made me to be and who I am in Christ. And when I live this kingdom life and this kingdom lifestyle, then it literally has ripple effects. And it's like a thermostat. It changes the environment that's around me. But the interesting thing is, is Christians for 2,000 years, and even what we see in the New Testament, the most of the New Testament letters are actually corrective letters to Christians. It's literally a guy like the Apostle Paul or the Apostle Peter saying, what are you doing? You're not supposed to do that. You're supposed to do this because this is who you are. And the tendency for us as Christians is to always give way to the culture. We always think we need to water down the message We always think that here's what we really need to do to reach people. Here's what we need to do to reach non-Christians is we'll act just like non-Christians. And then when we do that, then we'll attract people. So when it comes to church, what we want you to do is we want you to come in and Everybody gets a free iPad, and your kid slides down a slide to get checked into the check-in center. And we're really not going to talk about the Bible that much because the Bible's really hard to read. And we're going to be really apologetic about words like righteousness and sanctification. And, man, we really don't want to talk about that because we don't want to offend you. And we want to change to be like you in order to attract you. Now... Here at Westside, we believe that we want to do things with excellence, which is why we do the type of things that we do. We try to maintain our building. We try to have a quality service. We try to do all of these things as unto the Lord. But listen, we don't try to change in order to attract people. We believe that when we live a kingdom lifestyle, we inevitably attract people. Here's what Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones says. The glory of the gospel is that when the church is absolutely different from the world, she she inevitably attracts it. It is then that the world is made to listen to her message, though it may hate it at first. Isn't it interesting that we are supposed to be so distinct in the world that we are thermostats, that we change the environment around us, and that when we are so distinct, when we have this type of love, when we claim this type of truth, when we worship this type of Jesus, the world that literally hates this message is invariably attracted to this message. And so I see three things that Jesus does and, and, and how he tells us how we change lives. It's by who we are, by what we do, and why we do it who we are, what we do, and why we do it. And the first thing is this, who we are. Did you notice how emphatic it is in the message? Uh, Look at verse 13. You are salt of the earth. Verse 14. You are light of the world. In the original language, that's called an indicative, which means that it's absolute. Jesus isn't saying you're like this, and here's what he doesn't say. Here's what you need to do to attract the world, and here's what you need to do to be a follower of mine. You need to become like salt, and you need to become like light. He doesn't say that. He says you are salt, and you are light. And do you know what stuck out to me this week more than anything? Was verse 16. In the same way, 
Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your who? Did you know that the first time that Jesus mentions to his disciples the relationships of the disciples to God as Father is this first time right here? That the disciples would have went, God is Father? And here's what I love about this, and here's the principle that Jesus is teaching us. Our identity precedes our activity. Who you are determines what you do. Now, the world reverses that. The world says what you do determines who you are. And, 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 and just kind of as a trivia, think about it the next time that you introduce yourself. You say, hey, I'm so-and-so and I work blank. Hey, I'm Jason and I'm a pastor. Hey, I'm this and I'm so-and-so's wife. Or hey, I'm this and I'm so-and-so's husband. We identify ourselves by what we do. But Jesus doesn't say that that's what Christianity is. Jesus says that you are light and you are salt. And he says, your identity comes before your activity. And I don't know about you, but that's actually good news today. Because Jesus doesn't tell you something to do first. First and foremost, he tells you who you are. Who you are. And he says you're light and you're salt. And we'll get to what that means in a minute. But when I was reading that this week, I was reminded of an Oscar-nominated movie, and it's called Blood Diamond. It stars uh, Leonardo DiCaprio. And then the African-American gentleman goes by the name of Solomon in the movie. And what this movie shows is the, um, the, the slave trade over in West Africa with the diamonds. And basically what they do is they mine for these diamonds and then they sell them over in the United States on the black market for a cheaper price. But how they do it is they have rebels who come into a village, they plumage the village, they kill the women And then they enslave the boys. And what they do with the boys is they literally brainwash them. They fill them with drugs. They put AK-47s in their hands as seven-year-old boys. And they teach them to go into other villages and to kill in order to get these diamonds. And in the climax of the movie, Solomon is looking for his son Dia through the whole movie. Because in one of the scenes, they come through, the rebels come through, and they murder his uh, mom, and they take Dia away, and Solomon is constantly trying to find Dia, and Leonardo DiCaprio is trying to find this diamond, and Solomon knows where it's at, and so they're both searching for something in the movie. And then the climax of the movie is when Solomon sees his son Dia for the first time, and this is what his son looks like. He's holding a gun. And when Solomon approaches Dia, Dia points the gun at his father because he's been so brainwashed as to what the rebels have had. And in the climax, the apex of the movie, what I love is a father searching in pursuit of his lost son. When he encounters Dia, he doesn't tell him something to do. He tells him who he is. And this is what he tells his son Dia. Dia What are you doing? Dia, look at me and look at me, boy. You are Dia Vandi of the Palamundi tribe. And you are a good boy. You love soccer and you love school. 
Oh, and your mother loves you so much. She waits by the fire making plantains and red stew. And the new baby, the new baby waits for you. And the cows that you love, they wait for you. And Baku, the wild dog who only minds you, he waits for you. Dia, I know that they made you do bad things. But you are not a bad boy. And Dia, you listen to me. I am your father who loves you. And you will come home with me. And you will be my son. I don't know what gospel you grew up hearing. But the gospel first and foremost is not do this and God will love you. The gospel is first and foremost. God has done this for you. That's why he loves you. The way that we make a difference in the world is not trying to be something. It is rather understanding who we are. And who we are are sons and daughters of the king. We are in Christ. We are salt And we are light. We don't have to become that. But Jesus knows what our tendency is. Do you see the argument that he plays in the text? He says that you are salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall it gain its taste back? And then verse 4, you are light of the, or verse 14, you are light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket on a stand and it gives light. What he's saying is, I know what your tendency is going to be. Oh, disciples, listen to me. I know what your tendency is going to be. Here is who you are. You have a father and you are light and you are salt, but your tendency will be to hide that light when it comes to the pressure that the world will bring on you. And when you live in this world day in and day out and in that grind and in that nine to five and you deal with that coworker or you deal with that unsaved spouse or you deal with that family conflict or you deal with that addiction, it is going to grind against you and try to take away the distinct taste of the salt. And what Jesus does is he looks at just household items. Did you know that Jesus would have grown up seeing his mother use light and salt there in the house? And so what I did this week is I thought about some household items that we try to become rather than who we simply are. And it's a list of what Christians are not like. This is what Jesus says, you are not like this. This is who you are and you are not like this. And I thought of all things being in Butler County, the first thing that we're actually not like is camouflage. Right? Anybody got the camo suit? Deer hunting still fa- it just fascinates me that you would like spray urine on yourself and go out into the woods. Like, but I get it. It's cool. Apex predator, the horns. I get the whole thing, man. It's awesome and it's fun. But camouflage blends in. And listen to me. Christians don't blend in. We simply stand out. So when the conversation happens at the workplace and somebody brings up religion and somebody brings up Jesus and somebody brings up the Bible, here's what you don't do. You don't fade into the background and become camouflaged and be unseen. That's not what we do. We are distinct because of very simply who we are. Your lifestyle, listen to me, your lifestyle is going to stand out. There are no 007 secret agent Christians. That doesn't exist. God has not called you to be so discreet that people go, golly, man, I had no idea that you love Jesus. You blend in so well. 
That should be such an insult to us. We're not camouflage, but here's also what we're not. We're not gasoline either. We're not gasoline. We're not going around setting everything on fire and blowing up at every issue that's in the news, right? Do you know that guy on Facebook, right? The eclipse happened, and it, and it looked like this, and then Trump said this, and, and, it, and then if you do some Bible verse and some cross-reference and then make the Bible say what it doesn't, then all of this stuff, and then what we have to do is we have to march, and we have to make picket signs, and we have to blow up on every single issue and do all this type of stuff. Man, be quiet and chill out, bro. Goodness gracious, no wonder nobody loves Jesus, right? Because you're going around mad at everything, bro. We are not gasoline. We don't go around setting people on fire all the time, telling them what's wrong in the world. I would sure love for Christians to be known more for what they love than what they hate. That would be a profound thing in the world, wouldn't it? That, that we were known for our love and what we were for rather than what we set on fire, man. We're not gasoline. And then this is my favorite because I grew up in church. Jesus didn't say that we were like lemons. Lemons. Lemons are sour, right? Our youngest daughter, um, Piper Graham, loves lemons. I mean, she'll just sit there and eat them at the dinner table, but I'll never forget the first time that she ate a lemon, right? She just did that face, right? And parents do it so they can take a picture and post it on Instagram to the torture of their child. You know what I mean, right? Like, this is great, right? But, dude, I see people walking around all the time like this. Look like you got baptized in lemon juice or something like that. I ain't raising my hands in church. I grew up half Baptist, you know? I'm just teasing, or I'm just teasing. You know what I mean? Or Presbyterian. I'll, I'll get it, everybody, okay? All right? You know what I'm saying? Can't get... Can't get too emotional in church. The Lord. I'm worshiping the Lord. And you know what he says? Cleanliness is next to godliness. That ain't even in the Bible, man. Are you kidding me right now? Right? Everybody's sour. There's no joy. Everybody's complaining all the time, right? Well, the devil's coming at me again. Got a flat tire on my way to church. Demons are after me today. Listen, I think the demons are probably messing with like Billy Graham or something like that, right? Right? Just sour all the time, just mad about everything. That's not what we're like, man. What if you were the person at the workplace that was happy about being at work? That'd just blow people's minds, wouldn't it? That may be the greatest witness in the world is that we are joy-filled, that we are light and that we are salt. This is distinctly who we are, first and foremost. Listen, please don't miss this. Jesus, first and foremost, tells you who you are before he tells you what to do. The woman who was caught in the act of adultery, caught in the act of adultery, bro. I mean, like on Front Street, Facebook Live, man. This is like, her sins are on blast. And everybody's like, here it goes, right? Let's bring her in front of Jesus because this is it, right? Sexual sin. Everybody gets all, ooh, right? This is a big deal because we love to elevate that. Oh, this is a big deal, right? What's Jesus going to do? Jesus starts writing in the sand. I believe that he probably wrote their sins. That would have been great, right? And it says from oldest to youngest, they dropped their rocks and they walked away. And do you know what Jesus turned to the woman and said? You're lucky I had your back. You better clean your act up, young lady. Doesn't say it. 
swear you're condemners. I don't condemn you. Because this is who you are. When you're standing next to me and you see my love for you, you are someone who's forgiven. Now go and sin no more. Because listen, you can't tell someone to go and sin no more apart from the love of Christ. Because they'll try. Oh boy, you grew up trying, didn't you? Just trying, trying, trying. Not going to do it, not going to do it, not going to do it today. I'm not going to do it today. Not going to do it. Not, oh, I did it, right? You just tried, tried, tried. Because you focused more on what not to do rather than simply who you were. And who we are in Christ is loved, forgiven, ransomed, redeemed, chosen, adopted. Need I say more? Jesus tells us who we are. Now the second thing that he says is, what we do. Now he tells us what to do. And he says that we're salt. And that salt has a distinct taste about it. Now, we have to understand the context. Jesus is in the first century. It's ancient times. So here's what Jesus didn't do at midnight. Jesus did not raid the refrigerator at midnight because they didn't have a refrigerator, okay? And they literally prepared their meals That day, they woke up, went out, and prepared their meal that day because preservation wasn't around that much. And salt's used for a number of things, but primarily what I think Jesus was teaching is this. Salt prevents decay. Jesus would have seen this growing up. In his house, there would have been a bowl or clay pot that his dad or him would have fished And they would have cleaned the fish. They would have put the fish in water, but it would have been salt water. Because salt, like hunters, you know this, right? Whenever you make the jerky that you always tell your wife to try and she hates it, but she loves you, so she still tries it. You know what I mean, right? Whenever you make your deer jerky, am I preaching, ladies? Am I preaching this morning? The the, the snack sticks are good. I like the snack sticks, but only with the cheese and jalapenos in them. But anyway, ADD, spiritual gift, rabbit, right? You know what I mean? Salt prevents decay. And what Jesus is saying is Christians are the ones that prevent decay of society. And what I love about this is, listen, everyone everyone agrees. Everyone agrees that the world is deteriorating, right? So even if 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 you're not a Christian in the room, I would like to ask you a question. What's your solution to society's problems? Because listen, don't just get mad at Jesus and say, I don't believe the Bible, none of that stuff. You need to go toe-to-toe with me. You need to have an argument about it. Everyone agrees that society is decaying. Legislation, is that the cure? Right? Long arm of the government, anyone, right? Anyone? Probably not. Legislation. How about total freedom? How about we just sit around and sing kumbaya, man, you can do whatever you want, man. I'm going to do whatever I want, man. I'm just going to hang out, man. We can just man all man, right? Because that works out, right? I just don't feel like going to work today. Awesome. You ain't going to eat either. You know what I mean? That doesn't work either. And I love what Jesus says is that actually kingdom living is what preserves society. So listen, the family, the family home, It's decaying. I don't know if you know that or not. Spend some time in the public school system. I had a meeting this week, and they had a struggle with attendance. And I said, what's wrong with attendance? And they said, parents just simply don't bring their kids to school until they get up. 
I said, what do you mean? They said, sometimes they'll come right before lunch because the parent didn't want to get up, take their kid to school, but they knew that their kid would get a free meal, so they picked them up and dropped them off at school because they didn't want to get up. Dads right now are a rarity in a home, a father. Society is decaying, man. And what Jesus is saying is when you live the kingdom lifestyle and you understand the way that I have designed things, you're the one that prevents this. You preserve literally the earth. And what I've loved about studying the Sermon on the Mount is that I've been tracing it through the rest of the New Testament. Because I don't know if you knew this or not, but the apostles and like Paul and the rest of the guys in the New Testament, like I hate when people say, well, they just made up what they wrote. Well, that's an ignorant statement and you haven't studied like the true authenticity of the scriptures because they spoke upon the authority of Christ. And so what Paul says in Colossians, what I love this verse, he says this about Christians living amongst outsiders. And he says, walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of your time. Let your speech be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer every person. So you know what that means? Guys, when you're at work and it's break time and everybody's standing around the water cooler and all of a sudden the perverse language comes up and we, uh, something about when you get a group of guys together, they act like fourth grade boys. It doesn't even matter if they're 40 years old, right? And all of that starts to happen Do you know who you are in that conversation? You prevent decay. Your speech is seasoned with salt. Ladies, when a group of women are standing around bashing their husbands and complaining about them more than they are praying about them, you're the one who prevents decay. Was that too early for the 9 a.m.? I was supposed to save that for the 11, right? Right? It's fine. Come on. Come on, right? Come on. We prevent decay. This is what we do in light of this. And then he says, you're light. And it's like a city set on a hill and it can't be hidden. So what does light do? Pastor Tyler talked about this. Light penetrates the darkness. And I loved what he said. There is no battle between light and darkness. Scientists will even tell you, if you shine a flashlight in the sky, that somehow in some crazy scientific way, that light continues to travel out into the universe and never stops. It's incredible. I talked to a guy who said, man, I didn't travel really to see the eclipse. I stayed in Popper Bluff because I thought, oh man, you know, 98%, that's not that big a deal. That's only like a couple percent of the sun. And then he said, turns out that like 2% of the sun is still a lot of sun. You know what I mean? (laughs) It's still like full daytime outside for 2% of the sun. You know what I mean? Like light is bright. And Jesus says, you're like that. Light penetrates the darkness. And again, to chase this through the New Testament, the Apostle Paul in the book of Ephesians says, for at one time you were in darkness. Can anybody testify to that? For one time, You were in darkness. And what if we meditated on a verse like that and understood the next time that we have a conversation with someone who struggles with sexual sin or who's squandering their money or who has an addiction or whose marriage is tough. For one time, I was in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. You know what I love about that? We don't give off our own light. Listen, Oprah lied to you, bro. You ain't got no special spark in you. 
There ain't no spark inside of you that you just need to find and let it fly out like butterflies. Take a look inside your heart see what you find. I don't know about you, man, but the Lord has saved me from some things. Amen? You are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. Now, here it is. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. So let's use a logic. If we are light of the world and light penetrates darkness, that means Christians need to be where darkness is. That's just logic, right? Listen, some of you think that right now you're being light. I came to church today and my little light just shined today when I came to church. You don't come to church so you can be in the light. We come to church to get brighter, to get our fire stoked, so then we can go out into the darkness. Listen, I am not interested in ivory tower Christianity. I don't want to be around a lot of people that are just like me, talk like me, think like me, and hate the same people just like me. I don't want to be around those people because that shows that you're living around, you're not in darkness, There's a famous author and speaker by the name of of Christine Kane. And she's a Greek woman. And when she preaches, she's fiery, man. She's like, she's not even five feet tall, man. And she can preach, I mean, some of the best men down, man. And she said one time, she's a mother and she's got all these kids and they've adopted a few kids. And she said, I was in Walmart. And it was a great illustration because she said, at Walmart, I believe the checkout aisle, they put the candy on the bottom shelf. Demons put those there for parents. Because you've just drug your kid from the toy aisle, and now they put the candy right where the kid can see. So when you're checking out, what are the kids saying? Mom, can I get this? Mom, can I get this? Oh, look, it's king size. Mom, can I get this? Can I get this? And she said her kid was relentless about this little bitty flashlight. Just this little, and she said, I got kids going. I had, my baby had pooped in the diaper. I'm pretty sure it was leaking out into the cart. And this lady was like, I need an aisle check on this. And she said, it was total chaos. And I said, fine, just get the flashlight. And so they checked out, and the kid was riding in the cart. And, and, and you know, like, you remember being excited right after they check out? You want that thing right after they, boop, scan it, right? They hand it right back to you. And she said, right there with a poopy diaper and everything in line, I had a Holy Spirit moment right there. She said, because my kid opened up that flashlight and he said, yes, mom, let's go find some darkness. And she said, right there, my world came crashing down. Mom, let's go find some darkness. Married couples who've been through dark times, can you go find some married couples that are in darkness? Men, can you go find some men that are in darkness? Man, we go hunting as Christians. That's what we do. We go chase down darkness. Christianity is not a playground. Christianity is a battleground. And light penetrates the darkness. And we are known by this. And it's by these good works that we do. Look at verse 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works. Listen, in Christianity, works does not save you, right? We are saved by grace through faith. By grace alone through faith alone. But listen, our faith is not dead. Our faith works. Works do not save you in Christianity, but works show that you're saved. You understand what I'm saying? So there's no lazy Christians. 
We're active in this thing, man. We're out here in darkness. We're, we're preventing decay of society. We're going into places where it's shambles. We're penetrating the darkness. Jesus says, this is who you are, and this is what you do. But then he says, this is why you do it. This is why you do it. So that they may see your good works. You know the word good works in the Greek right there? It means beautiful Beautiful works. I don't know about you, but I'm a fan of art. And I, like, I love seeing a painting. Um, I, I just saw one of my favorite actors, Jim Carrey. He's actually a painter, and he paints these portraits of Jesus. And he says, I, I love his eyes. It was just incredible. I love good music. But anytime you listen to like Mozart or see a painting, the question is always, who painted that? Or when you hear of Beethoven and, and, and Mozart, you hear the symphony that's playing and your heart is lifted up and you're raptured in this moment. And you want to ask, who, man, who sings that song? Jesus says, that's what your life should be like. People should see the way you love your wife and go, who is your father? People should see the way that you love those kids in your home and say, who is your father? So that they may give glory to your father that is in heaven. Listen, we deflect, we reflect back to God in this thing. And listen, here, I get this question all the time. Brother Jason, I just don't know what God's will for my life is. And most of the time, it's like people that are dating because they think a magic unicorn is going to land on their doorstep and they're going to know that that's their future spouse. Like God sent a magic unicorn right for you. You know what I mean? Like, should I marry him? Should I not? Should I work here? All I need is God to just appear. Listen, this is the purpose of your life, right? I'm about to give you, I mean, profound knowledge. The purpose of your life is to magnify God. That's it. What's God's will for my life? For you to magnify God. That means this. The way you use your money, God did not give you that money so people could go, wow, he's got a lot of money. God gave you that money so the way in which you use that money, people go, wow, he loves God. Dating people, do you know the greatest criteria of whether you should be in that relationship or not? You may need to break up before you come take communion today, okay? Is this, does this person help me magnify God? Very simple answer. You ain't got to pray about that one, bro. You ain't got to light a candle and sing kumbayas all day. Does this person help me love God more and give God more glory in my life? Does this job help me magnify God? Is this job a dark place? Great, because now you can be light in it. This is the purpose of our life, that we should magnify God and give him glory. And I love it. It's kingdom living is what changes lives. Listen, what would it be like? What would it be like if in Popper Bluff, Missouri, and if the people of Westside Church of God knew who they were in Christ, and in light of that, lived kingdom lifestyles. And revival could break out. Oh, listen to me. I believe it, and I believe it with everything in my bones that Westside Church of God could change Popper Bluff, Missouri forever. 
forever, generations to come. There's babies who haven't even been born who are gonna grow up in a Christian home because somebody was salt and light and influenced that couple and that couple gave their life to Christ and that baby grows up in a Christian home and understands who Jesus is. Listen, I'm speaking prophetically today because I believe it. I believe that addictions will break and and there will be generations that will literally be saved because that addiction was broken because someone lived a kingdom lifestyle and influenced somebody and gave glory to God the Father. And we've seen this all throughout history. We even sung songs about it when we were kids. Pastor Tyler is going to come up and and actually lead us in one of the songs. Does this name sound familiar to you? Harry Dixon Lowe's. This is a picture of him. Harry Dixon Lowe's went to Moody Bible College there in Chicago. And Harry Dixon Lowe's wrote a lot of hymns um, and, and was really famous, traveled around and spoke as an evangelist and sung. But do you know what the most famous hymn he ever wrote? was for his children and the Sunday school of the church that he grew up in. You know it. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. That's not what made the song so famous. You know who made the song famous? was a lady who is my hero now by the name of Fanny Lou Hamner. We have a picture of her. Fannie Lou Hamner was the youngest of 20 children. And at the age of six, she was forced to go out and work in the cotton fields. She was born into a generation of slavery. And during the height of the civil rights, when even our nation was in tension of voting rights for African Americans, on August 31st, 1962, After a meeting of coordinating committee of the Student Nonviolent Convention, Fannie Lou went down to the local courthouse in a yellow bus, and she took a literacy test. They made them take a literacy test before they could vote, and the literacy test was so difficult that some college white people couldn't even pass it. That's how biased they were. She failed the test, and on the way home, they were traveling on a yellow bus. And as soon as they got right to the county line, the police officers pulled over the yellow bus. And according to history, the police report said they pulled the bus over because it was too yellow. And they drug them out of the bus, arrested them, sicked dogs on them, beat them. And Fannie Lou, in the back of that bus, started humming. People didn't know what she was humming at first. Then she started humming, this little lot of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little lot of mine, I'm going to let it shine. In the midst of darkness, in the midst of moral decay, she knew who her Jesus was. She knew who her king was. And she knew I just got to be who I am. I just got to be who I am. And literally the whole bus broke out in revival singing this little lot of mine she went and even tried to run for a senate position they have a statue even made of her Fannie Lou she knew salt prevents decay salt penetrates the darkness and I'm going to find it and I'm going to go because listen my Jesus found me when I was morally decayed 
almost nothing and in darkness. And he found me. And in light of that, I'm going to let my light shine. I want to pray in just a moment. We're going to come to the tables. And guess what we're going to sing? We're going to sing this little light of mine. And I want you to sing it with everything in you. And I want it to light a fire for you to go out of this place and be kingdom citizens. Because kingdom living changes lives. Heavenly Father, we come before you today. And Jesus, you are our king. You are our king and you told us who we are. That we have a relationship. A relationship with God our Father. That we don't have to be like, we are like. We don't have to be salt, we are salt. This is who we are. God, the local church is the plan that you put into place. God, may we sing out loud today about the light that we have found and the light that penetrated our darkness. And may we go forth and be kingdom citizens. May we come to the table today and see these elements, this body broken and this blood shed for us that ignited and pierced the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. God, we pray this in the mighty and the resurrected in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Would you stand right where you're at?